that really is terrifying, isn't it? That should have like an age rating on it. It's so horrible. Um, but it was Jack, Liz, and Dave, so um, they are the scary ones. I'm kidding, they're totally not. Um, they were just very good at shouting really loudly upstairs um, as everyone else was trying to work one day. Um, anyway, good evening. It's great to be back with you. Uh, let's pray uh, as we begin. Father God, we thank you for gathering us here this evening. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you that we are able to gather freely uh, in your presence to worship you. And God, we pray uh, that you would speak to each of us tonight, that your spirit would be working uh, deep within us, and that we would leave here uh, changed and, yeah, more in the image uh, of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Cool. So we're in this series on the book of Proverbs, and I actually haven't really been here for much of the series, so I'm really excited uh, to be back here tonight. And now the book of Proverbs, it's making observations uh, of the world. It's making observations of how the world works, and it encourages us to live with wisdom. This wisdom is a kind of skill of living, kind of how to be good at life. Not, not being good at life so that we reach maximum happiness, like any self-help book might tell you how to do, but instead, Proverbs encourages us to seek a wisdom that is found in the fear of the Lord, wisdom to live a godly life as a follower of Jesus Christ. This wisdom becomes the way that we navigate how we live, how we live a life of following Jesus. It gets into the nitty-gritty of everyday situations and all kinds of human relationships, and it attempts to give wisdom in order to restore the image of God in man. Scattered throughout the book of Proverbs, as we've seen in that reading, are references to anger. The words of the theologian Tim Keller help us to understand why gaining wisdom about anger is important. He writes this, anger is the dynamite of the soul. As a result, anger has the power to disintegrate things, to polarize things like an explosive. So anger is powerful. It's the dynamite of the soul. It's powerful in both a positive way and a negative way. And it's important and it's right for us to recognize the place of righteous anger in our lives when the dynamite is used in a righteous way. Righteous anger pushes us to stand up for injustice. Righteous anger moves us to do something about the brokenness of the world. That type of anger, it doesn't feel nice, but it is good. Gary Haugen was working as a lawyer when he witnessed firsthand how human rights cases often went. He became angry that individual perpetrators were rarely held to account. So in 1997, he founded IJM, International Justice Mission, to support the most vulnerable in cases of violent abuse in very poor communities in the developing world. Since then, the work of IJM are involved, the work that they've been involved in has protected over 10.4 million people from violence. But it was his anger at the injustices that moved him to do that. And their anger at IJM continues to burn, their righteous anger continues to burn 
as they work until all are free. It's their slogan. You might know Rachel Matezi. We're linked with her here at Christchurch. She grew up in the slums of Kampala in Uganda. She saw the injustices that took place, particularly in the area of sexual violence against women and girls. Her anger, her righteous anger at the lack of care for the least led her to dedicate her life to advocate for the most vulnerable in her community. She gave her life to protect and to care and to love the least because of the anger that burned within her. She and Calvin, her husband, they also currently foster 11 children who otherwise would be living in unthinkable circumstances. Together with their team, they continue to channel their righteous anger that they feel into the mission of God that he has called them to. And someone else you may recognize, Jesus, he entered Jerusalem, he saw God's house being mistreated. He witnessed the temple being turned into a marketplace and his righteous anger at that mistreatment of the place of worship, as well as the exclusion of Gentiles from worship, led him to do things that definitely don't align with the friendly Jesus that we sometimes think we know. He made a whip out of cords. He overturned tables. He drove out those who were making the house of prayer a den of robbers. It was those injustices that led those people to be angry and to do something. You'll be able to think of other examples, I'm sure, of people whose righteous anger over the injustices of our world has moved them to do something. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've seen the brokenness around you and that brokenness has in turn broken your heart, but as well as the sadness, there's anger. And perhaps it's anger that people aren't being treated as God's children across the world. Maybe it's anger that people are seen as objects or commodities, something to own and treat as people please. Or maybe it's anger that you feel as you look around and see God's creation being brought to its knees by human activity. This anger is an anger born out of love. Love for God, love for his people, and love for his world. Whatever it is, we have to know and recognize within us when the anger that we feel is righteous, when it's an anger that is a gift from God that allows us to know in the very depths of our being that what we see isn't God's will, and to have the courage and the confidence to believe that we should do something about it. We have to recognize when our anger is righteous and holy and godly and good. But we must too recognize when the anger we feel is totally not loving, it's not righteous and not holy. Remember those words I read from Tim Keller about anger. Anger has the power to disintegrate things, to polarize things like an explosive. Explosives are helpful, aren't they, to take away old structures to dismantle things that aren't good, that don't serve the purpose. But of course, explosives can bring damage and hurt. An anger that is misplaced and unholy 
that too brings damage and it brings hurt. It damages those around us, damages ourselves and our heart, it damages our communities, and it damages our common sense. Paul knows too well the way that anger can have a hold on us. He writes in Ephesians, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He knows the temptations. In his old life, he was so angry. He knows the temptations. He knows the ways of the human heart. He's saying, do not let the anger that you feel lead to sin. Do not let the anger that you feel lead to destructiveness. And that close connection between our anger and destructiveness, it's a close connection and it's dangerous. And that's the destination of anger that we want to avoid by dealing with our anger appropriately and in a way that reflects the heart of God. Scripture tells us about the heart of God. Scripture tells us that God is slow to anger. That doesn't mean he doesn't get there eventually, but it's slow. It's a slow process. He is patient. We are often not slow to anger. Our anger is often quick, and it takes over. We see red. We lose control, and then we regret it. If you've seen the film Inside Out, you'll have quite a good picture of this. The red character, very aptly named Anger, um, he rages. Flames come out of his head, and he takes over the controls of the person that he's part of. It's confusing if you haven't seen it. Go and watch it. Um, but he takes over the controls, and he causes his person that he occupies, Riley, to act in a way that she will regret. Anger takes over. We see red, the flames come out. Anger causes us to lose our rational thinking, to make terrible judgments and rash decisions. Chapter 19, verse 32 of Proverbs tells us to be patient rather than a warrior, to have self-control. To have self-control, that ability to say no to what so easily comes to many of us. The things that come so easily, like just losing our temper, saying and doing things that we can't take back. Both patience and self-control are part of the fruit of the Spirit, alongside love and joy and peace and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. Characteristics that we grow in as the Holy Spirit works in us as followers of Christ. And if there was an antidote to destructive anger, I'd suggest that growing in the fruit of the Spirit is the answer. If we're more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle, more patient, and more self-controlled, there's less space for anger. Our natural disposition to blow up and act out in anger that reduces. And instead, more often, we acknowledge the anger, yet we lay down our swords. We avoid damaging relationships in the long term because of our reaction in the short term. I imagine many of us can relate to experiencing anger with strangers. 
whether that's becoming a totally different person as the road rage takes over when someone cuts you off, like Simon said, or when someone pushes in the queue at the shop and you can like silently imagine what you would say if you were just like a little bit braver. There's definitely things to work on surrounding anger with strangers, to be a more loving witness for Christ to those who we don't know in situations where we may not even see each other again. However, I'd argue that those closest to us are at most risk of damage from our anger. They see things that others don't, and whether it's fully directed at them or actually is a rant to them about something or someone else, how often are those closest to us on the receiving end of our anger? And this is where I've been challenged as I've pondered what God might want to say to me personally and us together as I prepared for this evening. I wonder if for a few other people this may be the same. It's the closest people who are at the risk of damage from our anger. And that's why we want to change our hearts. Of course we want to do it for the stranger, but I want to do it for those closest to me as well. Who is it easy to be angry at, yet other people who actually you want to be least angry with? Who is it in your life who you least want to hurt, yet you end up hurting them the most? Who is it who you feel so safe around that you go way, way past just processing something with someone and end up giving full vent to your rage? That phrase from chapter 29. Who do you give full vent to your rage to and then justify it as getting something off your chest? And in that moment, you become unrecognizable from how you would act around anyone else. I can definitely relate, and it's a challenge to me to live with wisdom in my anger. We want wisdom to help us live like Jesus, to be fruitful in our discipleship to be free from the anger that so easily ensnares and entangles us. We want to live as fruitful disciples, yet misplaced, selfish, and hot-tempered anger is not fruitful. That slightly strange verse from chapter 30, verse 33, about churning cream producing butter and twisting the nose producing blood shows us that the direct product of anger is strife. The movement and the pressure of anger gives way to bitterness. It's just the pathway. It gives way to bitterness, to difficulty, to continued conflict and fighting. Uncontrolled anger does a great deal of harm. James warns us about it in his letter as he encourages us to be quick to listen, slow to speak. How often is it the opposite? How often are we slow to listen and quick to speak? But he says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not produce the fruit of the Spirit. It cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit. God has created us to have hearts that cultivate good things, but so often they get filled with the opposite. 
And we are to rid ourselves of bitterness, of malice, of anger, those weeds that so easily fill us. And we want to leave space for the Spirit, for the fruit of the Spirit to transform our hearts, our lives, and our tendencies. What do we tend to do? How do we tend to react? I pray that the Spirit changes my tendencies. I imagine most of us um, are quite on board with living with less anger. Despite a split second of it feeling really great as you let off steam, actually going off on one and losing your head as your blood boils with anger generally feels pretty rubbish. Pretty rubbish in the moment and so rubbish afterwards. I feel like I don't have to work too hard to convince you that we want to avoid unholy anger. That's probably quite obvious. We want to avoid unholy anger and all that it brings. But of course, the difficult part is the outworking of this. How do we live fruitful lives? In Jesus' death and resurrection, God forgave us for our sins. He took them as far away as the east is from the west. You don't have to be defined as an angry person anymore. It doesn't have to be something that consumes you, that it feels like it's every fiber of your being. You can be free from that because of the cross. You can come to the cross daily, every hour, whenever, and give those emotions to Jesus and ask that he would help you grow in fruitfulness, to look more like him, to live more like him, and to love more like him. And to grow in that fruitfulness, we need to remain in him. Be encouraged by the words spoken by Jesus himself, who loves us and died for us. These are the words he speaks in John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's the fruit in us that shows people we're disciples. And whether that's strangers or the closest people to us, our lives need to point to Jesus. And the fruitfulness is what does the pointing as Christians, we need to allow Jesus to prune us, to get rid of what doesn't reflect him. And then we need to allow his spirit to grow in us. Grapes don't think to themselves, grow, grow, grow. They don't sit there going, grow, grow, grow. 
They just stay on the vine. They just stay connected, close, attached, and they grow. They don't try really hard. They don't strive really hard. They just stay close. We can try as hard as we like to become less angry. We can read every self-help book. We can have candlelit baths or try whatever breathing technique we like. And they might all actually be really helpful things, but it's the Spirit of God underpinning everything that actually brings transformation. I can't do it by myself. I can't try harder and then it just suddenly works one day. The Spirit transforms. It's the Spirit in our lives doing work in our innermost being that changes our habits. It's the Spirit in our lives that brings us to live in the wisdom of God in our anger, to seek God in our anger, to bring calm, to restore, to have self-discipline and patience. We want to avoid anger that is contagious, because it is. We want to avoid anger that is tempting, that leads us into deeper trouble. We want to avoid anger that destroys relationships with those we should be loving, if for no other reason than that they are children of God. But we also want to be people who experience the fire of holy anger, an anger that drives us to shine light in the darkest of places and make the change that God's heart is so for. My prayer, and maybe this is your prayer too, is that I would have the strength to let go of my anger when it's selfish, when it's prideful, or when it's leading to sin. And also, my prayer is that I would have the strength to let anger grow within me when it is God-given, when it is holy and righteous, and when it's on behalf of the weak and the vulnerable and the exploited. Really, my prayer is that I live like Jesus in my anger, that I would live like Jesus in my anger as his hands and as his feet and with his heart. So I'd love to pray that over us this evening, and then we'll have some space later um, for each of us to do some business with God, whether that's uh, an anger that you feel burning, that you feel like uh, is moving you to do something about what breaks your heart, whether it's about anger that you feel that you know is not from God and that you would love to be free from. Or maybe, as Simon prayed earlier, it's a something you need to forgive someone for. Someone's anger has really taken a toll on you and your spirit. And you'd like God to be in that situation and help you forgive and let go. So let's just take a moment to pause and then I'd love to pray for us all. So maybe just think and ask God what he's saying uh, to us this evening and to you personally.